The U.S. government has reached its debt limit of $31 trillion. There's nonstop discussion of this in the media and certainly all over YouTube. There are a lot of hyperbolic videos claiming that this is the end of the world. The U.S. government is going to default. I have found most of this coverage pretty annoying and misleading. So today I want to make two brief points that I want to hit home that you're probably not going to see mentioned in the mainstream corporate media. Point one, pretty much no one in Washington actually cares about the debt ceiling. This is a political football that is used every few years to justify cutting government funding for the very few social programs that do exist. And the reality is that this debt is denominated in dollars. It is money that the U.S. government could print and just pay off. I mean, it would lead to inflation, but the U.S. Federal Reserve, the central bank, printed $8 trillion from 2008 until 2022, over 14 years of quantitative easing, to support a big asset bubble to help rich people get even richer. So the U.S. government has a precedent for printing this money. However, countries in the global south cannot do that. You see many foreign countries, especially in the global south, when they have debt, their government debt is often denominated in other currencies, specifically the U.S. dollar, and they can't print U.S. dollars. So that traps them in unpayable debt. And I recently did a video and a podcast about Argentina's odious debt that it's trapped in, denominated largely in U.S. dollars. I will link to that in the description below. But the other point that I want to stress here is that it's very clear from the deal that U.S. President Joe Biden, a Democrat, made with the Republican Speaker of the House of Representatives, Kevin McCarthy. They agreed in their deal to make it more difficult for people in the U.S. to get access to food stamps and welfare. And at the same time, they increased the military budget to $885 billion. So it's very clear that decision alone makes it clear that no one in Washington actually believes that the debt ceiling is important because they're willing every single year to keep increasing the military budget, which very well could reach a trillion dollars by 2030. They keep increasing the military budget to wage war on Russia, on China, on Iran, on countries all around the world. Syria is still militarily occupied. So while we hear this constant chatter in the media, this debate, this false debate about the debt ceiling, both Republicans and Democrats are totally on board with continuing to expand the war budget. Now, back in the 2000s, when the Republican George W. Bush was president, his vice president, Dick Cheney, a notorious neoconservative, famously said, deficits don't matter. He, in fact, cited the previous Republican president from the 1980s, Ronald Reagan, and said that Ronald Reagan proved that deficits don't matter. The Bush administration proved this because they spent trillions of dollars waging the so-called war on terror, invading Afghanistan, invading Iraq, expanding the U.S. military interventionist policies all around the world. And where did that money come from? Well, they just spent it. The government spent it. They didn't care about the debt ceiling. 
because the U.S. government can create dollars, which no other country in the world can do, and yet the dollar is the global reserve currency. That's the exorbitant privilege of the U.S. empire. I'm going to come back to that point later here. Now, in the deal that U.S. President Joe Biden, a Democrat, made with the Republican Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, it has been reported that part of it includes increasing the official military budget from around $800 billion in 2023 to $885 billion in 2024. However, this is actually an underestimate. If you look at a graph of the U.S. government's federal discretionary spending for 2023, you can see that the military basically made up half of it. And this is just the official discretionary spending on paper. In reality, the U.S. military frequently spends much more. The Pentagon has failed every single audit it has ever tried. And there are trillions of dollars of spending that is completely unaccounted for. But even if we look at the official discretionary spending budget, we can see that in 2023, the military was about 800 billion and non-military was, was 936 billion. However, that is actually misleading because in the so-called non-military spending, it included $131 billion of benefits for veterans. So if you take out that spending from the non-military, it's actually the non-military was around 800 billion and the military spending, including veterans benefits, was 931 billion. And that doesn't also include other hidden costs, like for instance, the nuclear budget is sometimes included in non-military energy spending or international affairs represented $80 billion of the so-called non-military spending. So in reality, the US government according to the official federal government's discretionary spending, the official budget, it is definitely over half of what the U.S. government spends and probably significantly more than half. Meanwhile, in 2022, U.S. military spending made up nearly two-fifths of the entire world. The U.S. military budget was 39%, nearly 40% of the global military budget, which means that Washington spent 10 times more than Russia and three times more than China, despite the fact that China has four times the U.S. population. Actual U.S. military spending in 2022 was $877 billion. That's actually larger than the next 10 biggest military spenders combined. So Washington spent more on its military than China, Russia, India, Saudi Arabia, Britain, Germany, France, South Korea, Japan, and Ukraine all combined. And many of those countries are U.S. allies. So in this bipartisan agreement in which the Democratic President Biden and the Republican Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, agreed to increase military spending to $885 billion, officially on paper, it's very clear that both corporate parties in the United States recognize that deficits don't actually matter. They agree with Dick Cheney, Reagan-proved deficits don't matter. What's even more absurd and insulting about this bipartisan agreement between the Democrats and the Republicans to raise the debt ceiling is that it, while increasing the military budget, it makes it more difficult for poor people in the United States to receive food stamps and welfare. According to the initial agreement that Biden and McCarthy made, which could potentially change, but it says 
that people aged 54 and under have to work 80 hours a month in order to receive food stamps. And it's expected that this agreement could potentially push hundreds of thousands of families in the United States off of receiving food stamps and welfare. And this is despite the fact that welfare and food stamps have already been significantly slashed going back to Bill Clinton. You know, the neoliberal Democrats, Bill Clinton campaigned on the promise that he will end welfare as we know it. And he basically did so. And since then, Republicans have also cut food stamps. Donald Trump significantly cut food stamps. This is despite the fact that one out of six children in the United States is going hungry. We constantly hear that the U.S. is such a prosperous country, the richest country on earth, and yet one out of six children in the United States is in a house where they don't have enough food. The food stamp program in the United States is officially known as SNAP, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. And according to data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, four-fifths of households in the U.S. that receive SNAP, 81%, have either a child, an elderly individual, or an individual with a disability. As of 2022, one-fifth, 20% of children in the United States were in households that received food stamps. This is a vitally important social program because poverty in the United States is actually a very significant problem that is getting worse over time, not better. We can see this with the massive problem of homelessness in the United States. And meanwhile, billionaires and millionaires keep getting richer. The rich get richer and the poor are getting poor. Inequality is increasing. And that's why 20% of children are in households that receive food stamps. As of February 2023, 42.5 million people in the United States received food stamps through the SNAP program. That is 13% of the entire U.S. population. That is more than one out of every 10 people in the U.S. receive food stamps. This is extremely important. So quite literally, the Democrats and the Republicans have agreed to make it more difficult for people in the country to get food while they're increasing the military budget to wage war. And of course, who benefits from the military budget? It's the Beltway Bandits. It's all of the big weapons corporations in Washington and around you know, the DMV area, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. They're military contractors. They're private corporations that pocket these billions of dollars in fat government contracts, while poor people can no longer put food on their table for their children. And I mentioned that when Donald Trump was president, he cut food stamps. Well, he also significantly cut taxes on the ultra rich. A 2019 study by economists found that Donald Trump's tax cuts resulted in billionaires paying lower taxes than the bottom half of households in the US. So that is poor and working people. In 2018, the richest 400 families in the U.S. paid an average effective tax rate of 23%, while the bottom 50% of households in the U.S. paid an effective tax rate of 24.2%. And that is despite the fact, by the way, that taxes on the rich in the United States have consistently fallen since the 1960s. In 1960, the 400 richest families in the United States paid up to 56% in taxes. By 1980, that figure had fallen to just 40%. And as of 2018, it was 23%.
So if you want to know why there is such a massive national debt in the United States, it's very easy to explain why. The rich don't pay taxes. They pay fewer and fewer taxes while the tax burden actually is increasing on poor and working people in the US. And the US government spends trillions of dollars waging war around the world with 800 foreign military bases. And the US government constantly, at least until 2022, had a program in which basically it was giving trillions of dollars to the rich to pump up one of the largest asset bubbles in human history, inflating the prices of stocks and bonds, inflating the price of real estate, inflating assets, and these assets are owned by rich people, not by poor people. This was trillions of dollars going into the pockets or in the bank accounts of the richest people in the United States and the world. It was the most massive act of welfare in human history. After the 2008 financial crash, up to 2022, in 14 years of quantitative easing, the US Federal Reserve created $8 trillion that went into inflating all of these assets. The Federal Reserve, through the QE policy, was buying up mortgage-backed securities, these toxic assets that no one wanted to invest in. And who were the beneficiaries? It was the ultra-rich, because in the United States, 10% of people own more than 90% of assets. This is welfare for the rich. And meanwhile, the government is cutting the actually existing welfare for the poor. And this brings me to the final point that I wanted to make today, which is what I began my analysis discussing, which is how this whole manufactured scandal of the US national debt is ridiculous because it is debt that the US government owes in dollars. So if the government truly wanted, it could print that money to pay off the debt. Now, however, it would create inflation. That is absolutely true. But here I wanna say that I agree that the modern monetary theorists, MMT economists, they are right when they talk about this issue. Stephanie Kelton and others, they say, you know, the debt ceiling doesn't matter, and we know the net debt ceiling doesn't matter because Dick Cheney boasted about it, and every single year the US government raises the military budget. So clearly they don't actually believe it's important. But I think the MMT theorists are missing another crucial detail. And I wanna mention this before I conclude today. And that is imperialism and the exorbitant privilege of the US dollar. One of the very few MMT affiliated economists who talks about this is Michael Hudson. And of course, this is I, I owe a great debt to Michael Hudson because he has shown this for decades, going back to his brilliant book, super imperialism, which shows how the global financial system was created to give the United States a free lunch. Now, most governments around the world, especially in the global south, can't simply print money in order to pay off their debt because many countries owe debt in a foreign currency. For many countries in the global south, when the government needs finance, they will often, for instance, sell euro bonds. And despite the name, a euro bond has nothing to do with the euro. A euro bond is a bond that is government debt that is sold by a government in a foreign currency. And the majority of euro bonds are denominated in US dollars. So when countries in the global south, like for instance, Ghana or Zambia or Pakistan or Sri Lanka or Argentina, as I showed in a recent episode, when they sell their euro bonds denominated in US dollars, they have to actually produce value in their economy in order to get access to those US dollars in order to pay off their debt. 
The United States doesn't have to actually produce anything of value. The US government can simply print the dollar. And this is how the United States has maintained the world's largest current account deficit for decades. What is a current account deficit? What does that mean? That means that the US government constantly imports way more than it exports. And if you look at a map of countries around the world by their current account balance, you can see that the United States and the imperialist countries, largely excluding Germany, which is a manufacturing superpower, but largely the United States, Britain, the imperialist powers have massive current account deficits because they're constantly having this massive inflow of imports and investments. So they have also the inverse of the current account is the capital account. So you have constant capital flowing in to assets, securities in the United States and to a lesser extent, Britain. For much of the global South, it's the exact opposite. For a country like Argentina, if you constantly import technology and other products, it's going to devalue your currency. And this is exactly what's happening in Argentina right now. There is significant inflation, which is eroding away the life savings and living standards of Argentine workers. Because what happens in most countries is when the government has a consistent current account deficit, it's importing much more than it's exporting, it weakens that currency because usually they have to sell their currency in foreign exchange markets in order to get access to the dollars or whatever currency they use to buy the imports. And because of the dominance of the US dollar, because of the imperialist system, that means that usually they have to get access to dollars. So the Argentine peso has been significantly decreasing in relation to the US dollar. And as I explained, it's also due to the massive debt it owes in dollars to Western vulture funds like BlackRock and to the International Monetary Fund, the IMF. So for most countries, over time, if they import too much, their currency will be devalued. And that actually what it does is it, but it decreases the living standards and purchasing power of workers, but it does make exports in those countries more competitive because it's simply cheaper for those goods to be bought by foreign countries in their currency. So theoretically, at least on paper, over time, that would lead the country to move toward a more balanced uh, current account and a, a better balance of payments with other countries. However, in the United States, the US dollar does not, at least significantly, devalue with the massive US current account deficit because of the exorbitant privilege of the US dollar. Because no one really wants Argentine pesos, unless you're, you know, buying certain products from Argentina, although even then most of that's, most of that, the invoices are done in dollars. No one is really investing in Argentine assets using the Argentine peso, they're using US dollars. However, for the US dollar, because of the exorbitant privilege of the US dollar, the US can keep importing and importing and importing way more than it exports. So absorbing the surplus of the world, the surplus value produced by workers of the world that gets absorbed by the US economy and workers in the US don't have to produce that surplus to go out to the rest of the world because of the exorbitant privilege of the US dollar and because other US dollar holders around the world are investing the, the excess dollars in assets, in securities in the United States, on Wall Street, in real estate. So this is the exorbitant privilege that the French finance minister talked about in the 1960s. The US economy doesn't need to produce $100 worth of value through labor 
in order to buy $100 worth of products. The US government can print that money and it's actually free because most of the printing that's done is actually digital. It's not even real physical cash. It is balance, it's the balance sheet at the Federal Reserve and the US Treasury, right? So the US can simply print that money in order to import, whereas other countries, especially in the global south, their workers have to produce constant surplus. They have to break their backs working and working and working in order to produce $100 worth of value in order to get access to the $100 that, by the way, often goes toward paying interest on the debt owed to vulture funds on Wall Street or asset management firms like BlackRock that is investing the capital, the wealth of the rich oligarchs, the billionaire class, and buying up, gobbling up assets around the world. So I really wanted to stress that point that yes, the MMT theorists are correct. The US government could, you know, print that money in order to pay off the debt. You know, there's been discussion of the US Treasury minting a $1 trillion platinum coin. So the, the Congress won't have to raise the debt ceiling in the future. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's technically true. However, most countries around the world simply can't do that because they have their debt denominated in foreign currencies like dollars. And even for countries that do have massive government debt largely denominated in their own currency, like for instance, Japan, which by the way, Japan has a massive national debt of over 250% of its GDP. But like the US debt, Japan's debt is denominated in its own currency, the yen, which J Japan can print. Furthermore, the central bank of Japan owns over half of the government bonds. So it's national debt owed by one part of the government to another part of the government. And by the way, 90% of Japan's debt is held domestically. It's not external debt. And again, it's not in a foreign currency. So it's the exact same point that I was stressing earlier. Although an aside here, a significant difference with Japan is that unlike the US, Japan has a consistent current account surplus, it's significantly exporting much more than it imports. But the same point is relevant in terms of imperialism. Japan is a key part of the US-led imperialist system, and that is also what gives Japan the economic and political ability to maintain this debt relationship and to denominate its bonds in yen in a way that many countries in the global south can't do especially countries that are targeted by the United States for regime change or war or sanctions and economic blockades. And that means, of course, that no investor is going to buy that country's debt with the threats of U.S. sanctions and destabilization, which means they probably won't get paid back on that investment. So, yes, the MMT theorists are right about that. However, I really wanted to point out that the reason that these governments are able to do this is because of imperialism. Because, I mean, if you're a poor country in the global south, yes, you can continue to print your currency in order to pay it off, but unless there's a demand for your currency, for importing your products because they need your currency, or to in for investing in your assets, then, I mean, it's going to lead to very significant inflation, which is going to just completely wreck your economy. The reason that the United States and Japan and the imperialist powers can do it is because of imperialism. This is precisely how imperialism works. The point is that, yes, the MMT theorists are correct, that the U.S. government could simply print that money and pay off its debt, and the national debt doesn't really matter 
Dick Cheney agreed with them. I mean, yes, that's not really that radical or controversial of a point. What is a more important point is that the reason that the United States can do this over so long and maintain such a massive current account deficit and and just absorb in, suck in the surplus value produced by workers all across the world is because of imperialism, because of the power of the US dollar, and because of simply the military threat that the US military with its tr nearly trillion dollar annual budget poses to countries around the world if they try to challenge the hegemony of US imperialism and the hegemony of the US dollar. We saw what happened in Libya, and Iraq, countries that tried to challenge the hegemony of the US dollar, there are very real consequences. So with that, I'm gonna stop ranting here. I just wanted to, in this analysis today, I wanted to just raise those two points. That one, everyone in Washington recognizes the national government debt doesn't really matter because they're continuing to increase the military budget and they have spent trillions of dollars on war, on quantitative easing to help bolster the price of stocks and bonds and real estate to help support the rich, welfare for the rich. So that's the first point. And the second point is that the reason that the United States can do that in the first place is because of imperialism. So with that, I'm going to conclude here. I'm Ben Norton of Geopolitical Economy Report. Please subscribe on whatever platform you're watching or listening on to help promote this material in the algorithm. I want to thank everyone. I'll see you next time.